Hello, everyone. Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson. I'm a physiotherapist and researcher at La Trobe University in Australia. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Professor Benita Olufia, who is a professor in musculoskeletal physiotherapy at the University of Westwaterstrand and the director of the WITS Cricket Research Hub for Science, Medicine and Rehabilitation, which was newly established in 2021. Dr. is an avid researcher with a high level of research productivity aimed at the prevention of sports injuries with a focus on human movement analysis. She established the WITS Physiotherapy Movement Analysis Laboratory in 2010 and has moulded it into a lab that advocates research excellence. In 2013, she completed her PhD in cricket, fast bowling, injury prevention. Welcome, Benita. Thank you very much, Brooke. It's great to be here. One of the areas that perked my interest from some of your papers was the attitudes, perceptions and barriers to evidence-based sports physiotherapy practice in Africa. So you've done a bit of work from the perspective of clinicians, athletes, and even students. And where do you think, I guess, the biggest gaps are and what are some of the priority areas that you and some of your your colleagues are looking at at the moment? Yeah. So that specific research um, article that you're referring to is quite a special one. Um, I'm involved in Yomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology in Kenya, even though I'm based in South Africa. And um, I'm supervising some of the postgraduate students. And this particular project was really relevant. Um, So what we found there was um, that time is a definite problem. So it's a big, big barrier. But one of the biggest findings was, and it is like this in many areas of the world as well, that um, the Kenyans were very open, and specifically the sports um, physiotherapists in Kenya were very open. They had a positive attitude and they had knowledge about what evidence-based practice is, but they they didn't adhere to evidence-based practice principles. And one of the biggest challenges was time. And um, time and a few other challenges that can be bridged, but time was one of the biggest challenges that we found. So I would say that um, if we look at gaps and priority areas is to further um, investigate uh, how can we bridge this gap between us um, um, producing more and more research and um, bridge the gap between us producing and the consumer um, consuming the research out there. Um, let me just mention some of the other barriers, um, limited access to search engines, uh, lack, of an, uh, lack of an ability to appraise the research found when we um, found articles and lack of generalizability of the findings to the African context. That was some of the barriers and those can definitely be overcome. And so I just want to explore uh, some of those barriers and potentially some of the solutions and issues that are happening. So you mentioned time, um, and I'm guessing you mean time for the clinicians to actually go and, you know, look up the evidence, which, yeah, do you think that that's more of an issue in a country like Africa versus, you know, other countries and settings around the world, or is there anything unique to that element of time in your setting? Yeah. Yes, um, that's a very relevant question. I- Time is definitely definitely a barrier all across the world in all clinical settings. Um, I'm even in well resourced settings. We often hear um, where clinicians report back that um, they see one patient after the other um, or one client after the other, and that there's just no time to go and read up and find their feet. And I think it's almost like a 
a problem with uh, humanity that we are so busy that we we don't always focus on the long term what is important in the long run so um that time and not having enough available time it's definitely i don't think it's a problem in africa specifically but you know what is there there's a way around this so if we change a implement a culture of um maybe not uh, seeing one patient after the other, but a culture of other organized events of, of evidence-based practice, or if that's not available, a culture of reading up and reading, you know, f- f- uh, creating our own evidence-based habits in our own practice. Um, I definitely think that can be done. But one of the biggest barriers there is if, I mean, if we have a, a say a 20 minutes between patients, like if you think of the practical seating, and you only have 20 minutes, and you don't know where to start when it comes to evidence-based practice. You haven't lined up the, for example, articles that you want to read or identified any reputable uh, YouTube channels or blog um, posts or that you, you've lined up to read in that 20 minutes between patients. Um, you are going to just make a cup of tea and maybe scroll through Twitter and general social media. So I think the time, yes, to create time to spend on evidence-based practice, um, but also when that time comes and we have created time to be ready with um, uh, some uh, information to consume. That's fantastic. And yeah, yes, guilty of scrolling through. And then you, the other two barriers that you mentioned that I think is applicable to everyone as well is the actually access to the articles and the search engines. And you got any ideas or things that, yeah, in your setting, you've tried to get around that? Yeah, so uh, yeah, this is a it is a big barrier because um, I mean the the whole publication system, you know, we know that it is it's broken or let's call it less functional. So uh, many of our very good universities, um, we don't have access to every single database or every single journal platform or publication platform. So many of the the research um, that we do, we try and get around it and to try and if we collaborate with one of uh, Australians or the, I mean, um, the UK, we, we, we try to get some articles from our, our collaborators in other countries. It's not always the case. So for us, I mean, where I am, we are quite well resourced, but it's not the case in other universities, which means that if you try to do research or access research um, in countries or universities which just does not subscribe to all these databases and platforms, um, you are going to end up with being dependent on your research to thrive and for you to generate new knowledge based on freely and openly accessible research out there. So that's why I'm being on this side of, you know, of the world. I'm a big fan of open science. I'm willing to share whatever I've done, whatever we've learned. And in Africa, we have a lot to offer. Um, but we would also urge the world out there to share your resources and your um, your articles and make it available. Make your research open and your science open so that all of us can access it. 100%. We can all learn from each other, that's for sure. Um, yes. And in terms of the other one, the lack of generalizability, yeah, any, I guess, initiatives that you're working on to try and generalize research that's out there to your setting? Yes. So one of the big things that we we strive towards is to be um, internationally competitive uh, and that we, we need to do, but also to be locally responsive. So we need to think of our local context, um, whether it's Kenya, 
wider Africa, South Africa, and um, generate research applicable to that context. And that is our responsibility to do as Africans. And that's something that we we definitely are doing quite well in our Vits Cricket Research Hub to generate um, research relevant to our local setting, to use our own injury surveillance data and, and generate research and base our, our injuries um, reduction plans and um, interventions on our local uh, research and not to try and fit research from other parts of the world to our unique context. I have one more suggestion for researchers. Um, researchers across the world have got a huge responsibility to bridge that gap between publication and the pitch. We, we understand research, we understand the statistics behind it, we know how biased um, a publication or a research output can be. And it's our, our responsibility to really make it easy to consume for the world researchers across the world to do. If we want to improve evidence-based practice and translation, of, we really need to take responsibility for bridging that gap between writing our publications, our peer-reviewed publications, and presenting at academic conferences, and really to how are we going to make it user-friendly to the world out there to consume? I couldn't agree more. And um, colleague or collaborator of ours I saw like a really good email he put together a recent publication and he'd attached some images and some infographics and some text that everyone in the email thread that might be interested in that topic could copy and paste it yes. you know you yeah that's a brilliant idea sure. yeah yeah and it yeah. can seem a little bit um maybe I don't know people might feel like a little bit self-centered doing that like here's my research can you share it but as you just said so brilliantly, yeah, it's no use just sitting in those search engines where people can't access them. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so, Bonita, Africa has produced some of the world's most amazing athletes, whether it be athletics, cricket or rugby. But surprisingly, there is very little research about injuries and performance in African athletes. So you're in this space. Tell us about some of your favourite recent projects in African athletes. So the one um, project that we've done was um, where we looked at Kenyan runners and the prevalence of injuries. That was quite um, an amazing project. Uh, the prevalence of injuries was 63%, which was quite high. Um, but many of the findings also, um, we could relate them to findings across the world. But there again, uh, it was a, an example where we looked at, um, we there was no other research on the prevalence of injuries in Kenyan endurance runners, yet we know that they are really performing well. Um, most injuries were due to overuse and overtraining, and we know that there's a lot of pressure on Kenya to produce top quality long distance runners. Um, most injuries were to the posterior thigh, the lower back and the ankle. And then the other study that we've done, we included um, 97 cricketers from the elite settings in South Africa at the baseline at the start of the season. We um, gave them a baseline questionnaire to look at the prevalence of injuries. We um, did a whole screening tool where we looked at all kinds of potential risk factors to injury. And then we followed them up for an entire season and looked at incidence of injury and the relationship between these proposed risk factors. Um, and we had quite a few um, useful findings there, but that article was 
was also one of the very first to look at um, cricket players in the elite setting in South Africa, where we um, explored injury incidents and the associated risk factors. So it made quite a bit of a contribution. And again, um, for me, the end point of any research project should never be a publication or a Congress presentation. The end point should be when we convey the, the findings to the world out there. So what we've done is the injury surveillance tool that we've learned used um, during that period. We had the opportunity to adapt Cricket South Africans um, injury surveillance tool that they use for their injury surveillance system, as well as the screening tool that they've used. And that was quite a brilliant spin-off of this, this research. Um, you would think that you do the research, you get your publication, you present it to con Congress. But to impact practice, that is ultimately what makes the difference. So you mentioned in the study of the Kenyan runners that they had a higher prevalence of injury compared to other countries, uh, but they obviously continue to dominate on the international stage. So is there anything we can we can learn from that finding, um, or are we just you know Kenyan endurance runners are going to get even better as we start to understand their needs more? Yeah. So. Um one thing that I've picked up from working with many Kenyans is that they have a high level of resilience. And that's something that I think the rest of the world can learn from uh, many African countries. They just keep going. Um, uh, many countries in Africa is often um, under-resourced, yet in some way they make it work. And that is definitely um, the long distance runners of Kenya is definitely a very good example of resilience. So, Benita, you established the WITS Cricket Research Hub for Science, Medicine and Rehab in 2021. Congratulations. I'm really keen just to hear what, what it's all about and what are some of the key focus areas of the hub. Yes, we are. Um, it's, I must say it's quite an exciting initiative um, where we're really pulling research together um, in our South African setting and we work closely with other universities in South Africa who um, also explore some cricket-related topics. But for our specific hub, um, we have four focus areas, the injury reduction and performance enhancement area, and that includes our injury surveillance research, um, which is especially in community cricket, high school and club-level cricket. Then we have a human movement analysis priority area with a special focus on bowling biomechanics. And we have our data management and sharing in the sports space, and then the cross-cutting focus area in all our endeavours is around women's cricket and to make sure that we generate more knowledge in women's cricket, cricket as there's a definite gap in this area. That sounds amazing, Benita. I want to touch on the profile of women's sport, whether it be football, cricket, rugby. Um, it's you know continuing to rise worldwide. Are you seeing the same in South Africa in regard to, say, previously male-dominated sports? Um, is there an increase in participation at all levels? And is that, do you feel coming with an increased risk of injury? What are some of the injury trends and priority areas? Yes, the same is happening in South Africa as what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, especially in the cricket, there's um, our female cricket player, our women's cricket players now have contracts. So it's now doing it professionally. And as we know, with increased exposure comes an increased risk to injury. And that is definitely happening in South Africa as well, the same as the rest of the world. Um, what we did find with our female cricketers is that they get more hand, wrist and finger injuries than the male players. 
and um, shoulder injuries are also quite prevalent under the female cricketers. There's also quite a few differences when it comes to their bowling action and um, their strength. And I mean, we have hormone fluctuations, joint laxity, postural control differences. So the basic principle is that women are different to men. We are built differently. And we can't apply the research that have been conducted on male cricketers to females. And that's just the principle that we have to follow. So we need to generate context-specific um, and population-specific research so that we can base our interventions and the impact that we want to generate on um, the right research, research specifically conducted in women's cricket. Yeah, that's really interesting with the finger injuries. We're finding the same in uh, Australian football. Um, yeah, there's lots of finger injuries. So the one thing that we are very excited about is that we have an international women's cricket event that we are organising um, in for February 2023 alongside the T20 Women's Cricket World Cup. So I would urge um, all cricket lovers to follow us on any of the social media platforms, Vits Cricket Research Hub, and just to watch this space because um, we are really doing a lot for women's cricket and cricket in general as well, and that this event, then it may be of interest to them to join us. So before, Benita, we're talking about some of the barriers to evidence-based practice in Africa. So in terms of the WITS hub, what are some of your key initiatives to promote uh, evidence-based care into clinical practice? And what are some of your dreams for the WITS centre moving forward? Um, so for us, um, we would like to be the go-to place for researchers and postgraduate students who have an interest in research. Um, you know, we have a very nice and formal vision and a long mission on our website. Um, but if you look at and you strip it off those mumbo jumbo, our mission is actually to generate knowledge in cricket and use it to make the world a better place. And that's exactly how I see us going forward as well. We cannot play the numbers game and just publish one publication after the other if we do not commit to translate the findings into practice as well. Those two need to go together. So we focus a lot on translation in our WITS Cricket Research Hub. So the publication of our peer-reviewed journals and the presentation at our academic congresses, as I said earlier as well, it shouldn't be the end point. The end point should be once we've translated the findings into practice, once we've influenced policy in some way, um, once we've written that guide that the clinicians can use when they assess injuries, and once we've influenced the, the way that injury are being surveilled, um, once we've influenced the injury surveillance systems out there, that should be our endpoint of our research. It should be used to make the world a better place. Now, what we've done to ensure that we have dissemination and translation and that we have a focus around that is that all, all research projects that are being done by postgraduate students and researchers through the WITS Cricket Research Hub needs to have a translation component, um, translation and dissemination. So for dissemination, we'll ask um, uh, the researcher to give a presentation to the stakeholders, um, whether it's a presentation to the coaches, uh, to the sports coordinators, to the physiotherapists, the sports physicians, whoever was involved and that can benefit from the research findings. It may be players or the parents of players. Um, and to convert the specific research and its findings into something that can be distributed on social media. I mean, both of us, we've both said how scrolling social media is something that's part of 
the world today. And if we can create something legit that can be be seen by the world out there, um, that definitely needs to be done. So um, that's our dissemination plan. And then for translation, we should always ask the question, how can we influence policy or practice in whatever way, be it in a guide, uh, additional um, procedures or steps that we can formalize and uh, give to our professional bodies, sports bodies to use. So there should be some form of translation and um, dissemination component for all our research. I love that philosophy. Um, and I think what's so exciting about your centre is, you know, it started recently and you're able to start that culture from the start. Yeah. I'm super excited to see um, how it goes. And, yeah, I'm, I'm penciling it in the calendar for 2023. <laughs> Have you got any advice for clinicians who are interested in, you know, getting up to date, contributing to research or contributing to some of those translational activities? Yes. Um, so, of course, anyone with an interest in cricket can definitely contact me. I mean, you can contact me on LinkedIn or you can Google. You'll find me wherever. Um, you can, if you have a specific interest in cricket, feel free to contact me. But to clinicians out there, I would definitely suggest um, if you have an interest in evidence-based practice and you know there's a gap and that you can do more to consume the evidence in a better way, I would suggest just starting small. Um, just make a commitment to yourself that you are going to stay abreast with the latest developments in your specific field and find a, a way to do it. Now, that find a way to do it is where the problem comes in. So my suggestion is that if you enjoy consuming content, um, decide what platform or what format of content is best for you. Is it audio? Is it video? Is it text? And then find a good platform that fits that, that format that you prefer to consume your content in, whether it's podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher, um, YouTube channels that you'd like to follow or specific blogs that you would like to follow. So there's a lot of crap on the internet out there, but there's also a lot of reputable researchers who are making uh, uh, going through a lot of efforts to put their research out there on these channels. So not everything on YouTube or Google or whatever podcasts are, or necessarily crap. I would say find reputable channels after you've decided whether it's YouTube or, or blog posts or a podcast, subscribe to those podcasts, make sure that you get notifications of the blog posts, or subscribe to the, the newsletters, and then um, consume. start by consuming the information in a way that really feels comfortable to you. So for example, if you have that 20 minutes between patients, Quickly read a few blog posts if text is your format of choice and stay up to date with that specific institution's um, information that they publish. So uh, that's, I think, as a, as a start, that's a, a good way to start, to just stay abreast with what's going on out there. Um, but to definitely not go onto Google and Google sports injury and read whatever comes up first. Identify and to identify reputable platforms, you may have to ask around a little bit um, and really read up some more. And once you've identified a few good platforms, make sure that you subscribe to that and just stay abreast with it. Brilliant. And what about from the researcher end? Any advice to help bridge the gap from publication to pitch? And any final messages for the listeners today? Say so the key message and the key principle is that that we need to share. We need to share our expertise. We need to share our research. We need to share our data. Um, we have a lot to offer 
from our side of the world. And um, we can definitely enter into a, a meaningful collaboration for mutual benefit with other parts of the world and we'll be able to contribute fully to any collaboration. So um, I, I think the principle here is to share. And one last thing that I want to, to say about sharing, um, I've been in the academia for around 14 years and I've learned a lot about research and supervising postgraduate students, two, three postgraduate degrees myself. And um, as a result of that, and uh, because I have that need for sharing, I founded the Research Mastermind Success Academy. Now, it's a membership where postgraduate students can get their coaching content community. And it's actually just a platform where I can share what I've learned and even things that I learn daily and weekly that I can put it on a platform a legit platform where people can log in and they can find information around how to progress in their research studies, develop their academic skills, and specifically in work-life balance as well. So um, if anyone wants more information on the platforms that I use to share, you can Google um, or just go to researchmasterminds.com or subscribe to the Research Masterminds YouTube channel and you'll find a lot of support for researchers and postgraduate students. Thank you, Benita, and we'll definitely link your contact details and all the articles and um, resources that we mentioned today in the show notes. Thank you so much again for joining us, and thank you uh, to the listeners for joining us today as well, and hope you have a physically active day. 